You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Saturday Morning Life. You're joined by myself, Umar Bhatti, and my co host, Surhanallah Jima. And we're looking forward to presenting you today uh, a new um, episode of Saturday Morning Life. I'm very excited. Uh, because we've got a lot to cover in just a short amount of time. And uh, may I just say uh, the weather is outside, sunny, if you are wherever you're listening from, uh, because the past couple of days have been raining and it's still slightly cold. Uh, but we, we move on. Uh, we, we continue to um, do the everyday, uh, because this is Britain after all, and uh, we know how the weather is. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the show today uh, is going to be around uh, the Bet al-Fatuh complex and uh, the peace symposium at the grand opening uh, last week, Saturday. This week, last Saturday, was buzzing with lots of people uh, in preparation for the opening for His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masurim, and the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community to come in and uh, inaugurate this beautiful new complex, the administration block, which was sadly, of course, burned down due to an accident in 2015 and um, ever since then I think uh, you can just go online on Twitter and just check what the what, what the sentiments of each and every uh, Ahmadi, Ahmadi Muslim uh, and of uh, the people of the community are in and around uh, those who have attended who attended last week and those who have had a connection with the community that they're very much um, happy and surprised uh, in a good way for for the community that we've been able to erect a beautiful um, grandiose of an arc at the front of the of of the uh, of of the of the road basically of the main road uh, once again because. Um, for the past five years, it's been, or even let's just say four years, because um, the building had been up. Uh, but for the past uh, four four years at least, um, there was nothing but the uh, emptiness, which uh, felt a bit uh, wrong to see. Uh, but now we 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 have something to look at, and uh, it's finally taken shape, and it's finally in its, you know, it's there, and uh, we are uh, very happy. Uh, to see it, um, let me just um, uh, give you a bit of um, facts and figures of you know why it's happened and uh, who took part. And we'll of course have lined up for you um, about I believe four guests, two, two pre-recorded, pre-recorded interviews. Sorry, and uh, we have two live guests who will be who we will be uh, talking to about uh, the uh, the complex itself. Um, there's some added. Um, beautification added uh, to this site which uh, makes it look actually like a Middle Eastern uh, country within uh, w- within London, within uh, Britain so it's going to be quite interesting to speak uh, to that guest and we'll also speak uh, to the people who've been uh, leading, uh, helping out in preparation of the grand opening uh, in uh, capacity of uh, v- uh, volunteering uh, with the community. Uh, you must understand that of course um, one of the few things that, uh, as I was um, help, helping uh, with the guest, I think 
each and every one thought, you know, where did you get all of this money from? Um, and I think the first thing off the bat is when you tell them, it's actually the financial sacrifice of the people of the community. They're actually quite stunned. 20 million pounds from the community, not just here, but around the world as well, been donated uh, very generously by uh, by them because we know that uh, this was something that his homeless had appealed to the community and uh, we all acted uh, in a very fast manner so um, right off the bat I think that's one of the most amazing things that not having taken a single penny from anyone else outside organization including governments or insurance we were able to uh, fund this um, by the community's uh, uh, itself, the, the the people who benefit, the ben- beneficiary of the uh, of the building, all contributed heavily, and it was uh, it's it's something amazing to hear uh, when the guests and even people who just uh, even people some some people within the community who are sometimes a bit um, how can you say distant they 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 know as well, but it is um it is something um to look forward to um it did of course cost twenty million pounds if you look at the pictures itself um it looks very beautiful in the uh, nightlife uh dark skies all lit up um it has of course increased uh twenty uh, around twenty twenty percent more in capacity uh it can now uh, hold up to uh, in its estimation. 10,500 uh, 10, 10, uh, worshippers and um, it does have uh, I, I was actually watching a documentary yesterday uh, made by MTA uh, who did uh, into one of the vice presidents of the community in the UK and uh, he was also mentioning about the environmental aspects of how these this new complex um, was very environmentally, environmentally friendly uh, which was quite uh, not a surprise to me because I know that the community uh, looks forward to bettering uh, in any way or shape or form which uh, can help uh, society and its environment uh, and um, uh, to have uh, heard that uh, was uh, quite pleasing and positive and uh, of course on the day itself we had his homeless attend um, he of course laid a a small tree which uh, every elder does uh, when or whenever his owner attends he uh, plants a tree uh, because of course the significance of a tree as well is quite um, quite manifold um, you know if uh, there's a, there's a there's a saying uh, by the holy prophet which I'm paraphrasing is that uh, when you plant a tree and uh, animals uh, sort of eat from it or benefit from it you yourself will be uh, blessed uh, from every time that the animals uh, benefit from it, so um, that in itself is uh, our way of being environmentally um, active, and um, it, 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 it helps a lot. Um, so we'll um, we're gonna have our first guest soon, and um, you know I think the feeling amongst uh, I'm just looking at a few pictures actually. Uh, which bring back memories of that 2015 fire incident, and um, it uh, happened to be very um, a sad day because, uh, for me um, personally, I came here in the UK in 2008, and I remember visiting this in 2007 for the first time, and back then it was just amazing, uh, just to see such a huge mosque uh, and its complex as well, and to just see it again now in all its beauty and all right now as well. It's uh, it, it's beautiful. So uh, 
whatever whatever we have uh, given here, um, it's of course uh, thanked by uh, God Almighty, which uh, which which we're always um, thankful for. Uh, he always has um, better plans for us, even though at the time we thought, oh God, what was going to happen? So let's just take a short break and we'll bring our first guest on and uh, we'll be back after that. Simplified answers to frequently asked questions. Why is it not permitted to hang up pictures in a mosque? Is there a misconception that they will come alive? There is no such notion in the Islamic teachings that pictures might come alive. Pictures are not allowed to be hung in mosques where Muslims pray for the simple reason that pictures can be a cause for distraction. When a Muslim prays, all his concentration should be on God and no physical objects are even needed to establish a spiritual link with the Supreme Being. This is the reason for the absence of any physical objects, including pictures, inside the mosque where Muslims pray. Keeping this in mind, there will be no sense in hanging pictures in the mosque which might distract the worshippers. Otherwise, Islam does not prohibit the hanging of pictures in other places. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Saturday Morning Life with myself, Umar Badi and Rohan Lajima. And we do have our first guest on hold. But before I do go on uh, uh, introducing the guest, I just want to quickly get uh, Rohan's um, reaction uh, to the new complex opening because, you know, you were there as well, I saw... Um, and our other presenters who are not here with us this week, uh, they were there. So I just quickly wanted to get your uh, reaction on how it was for you uh, as a community member to see the grand opening. Um, yeah, and I'm sure you've already expressed, Umar, but uh, it was a very, very exciting moment for us. Even now, walking into the studios of Voice of Islam, seeing the majestic you know, new building at the front is really, really a um, point of pride for us, I think. It's something that... Um, it's taken over seven years, over seven and a half years now, which which is like, I didn't even think about this. Someone mentioned this last week, it's been seven and a half years, and yeah. I was like, wait, what, really? Um, so seeing seeing the results of that now, I'm just very, very excited um, to see, to actually use the building in the future as well, hopefully. Yeah, brought back so many memories, actually. My head was going through like some sort of rewind of all the activities which I took part in previous years and... Um, that we'd now be able to again benefit from it, uh, yeah, definitely. of course. Uh, although we had limited uh, uh, capacity here, with whilst whilst the c- constructions were happening, uh, it still felt that the mosque did its job. And of course, uh, now that it's got this extended uh, two three halls, which were there previously, now uh, we can look forward to more and more activities that the community will pro- be providing. Um, so now we actually have our first guest on hold. Uh, we have Dr. Adnan uh, Muzaffar, who is a, a doctor by profession, if you couldn't tell. Uh, but he's also the head of press for MK UK, and he was part of the Better Futu's uh, reconstruction pro- uh, project. Assalamu alaikum and welcome uh, to Saturday Morning Live. Wa alaikum salam and jazakallah. Thank you very much for uh, having me. No, thank you very much uh, for coming on. Uh, just to, I guess, start off with a very simple question, which I asked Rohan. Um, how are your feelings right now and how are they um, 
last week when you know you were here most likely as well um uh, and uh, opening up for the community the wider community and uh, dignitaries as well for the peace symposium how was it yeah no alhamdulillah it's it's a it's a feeling you can't fully describe in words um i was here as well when um it was one of my friends' uh, registration that was happening back in 2015, when the fire, uh, when the mosque initially did administrative uh, part of the mosque initially caught fire. <clears throat> so I remember that day vividly as well, with the smoke, the black smoke rising, and then we all went to see you know, what was happening. And, and Alhamdulillah, to see now the new complex finally, um, you know, from, from 2015 to now, like seven years, uh, you know, for, for, for it to. Uh, almost eight years, uh, but yeah, for it to now, alhamdulillah, being such a uh, magnificent and, and and very grand uh, uh, opening that we had, and very the, the the style of the building, the architecture, um, the the small small details inside as well, the writing, the calligraphy inside, the facade at the front, uh, it's it, it's just an amazing feeling, you know. We we've had people come in outsiders um, as they walk past. Everybody stops. I don't know whether how many of your listeners are from London or whether they've had the chance to see hmm. the masjid. But we've had English people, local people, and people stop by and they comment. They say, "Oh, this doesn't even look like <laughs> we're in England. Yeah. We, it looks like we're somewhere in the Middle East." Like the the yeah. quality of the building, the the you know the the whole architecture, the style. Alhamdulillah, it's just a very beautiful, very majestic and grand building. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think we've had several chats coming up as well, um, Dr. Yeah. Uh, Saib. So it's been it's the excitement as we came up to as well. And then yeah. you've also been involved in another project related to the mosque uh, redevelopment as well. And uh, yeah. <laughs> this has been a bit of the talk of the town, if you say so, because really? <laughs> I've had people come up to me or just people in passing yeah. mention um, yeah. these palm trees are such a good idea. You know, a lot of people have seen yeah. the palm trees at the front, <clears throat> which is probably why yeah. people think we are in the Middle East, <laughs> I think. Um, and uh, they ask, yeah. oh, where is this from? What is this about? Yeah. And I was like, I can point you in the right direction. <laughs> so, you Doctor, know, I, I was literally, yeah. I'm going to ask you, how did that come about? Where 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 are those, where are those palm trees from, and uh, what yeah. was the process of getting them? So, so as you know, I'm, I'm a medical doctor by profession, but around two years ago, I sort of fell in love with palm trees, and I started uh, getting some palm trees for my house, but they were much smaller. And then during that time, I thought, you know what, our mosque is being done. What would look really nice is if we can get some palm trees for our masjid. So about two, two and a half years ago, I spoke to Nasir Khan Saab. He's uh, now uh, Amir UK, and he's also he was the main man sort of in charge, if you like, of the redevelopment project under Amir Saab, and also our national Jaidar secretary, Cyber Fan Qureshi Saab. I said, look, can we, uh, you know, if we can get palm trees for this, you know, how, how does that sound to you? And I said, you know what, straight away, Nasir Khan Saab, he's a visionary. You know, he said, let's do it. Now, look into this. Tell us what can be done. Um, and he said, but look, you know what, we don't have a budget for this. So you've got to sort this out, right? Like, whatever needs to be done. So I said, <laughs> you know, we all have some savings. I, I spoke to a couple of the people as well. And I looked into the, the, the whole range of this. I won't talk about the actual numbers, but I realized that, yeah, we can do this, alhamdulillah. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Allah has blessed our Jumat enough. We can do this. So then I started calling around. Um, so it's taken us two years, honestly. And I, at some stage, I used to get quite worried because these trees, you can't get them in, in England, right? They are, if you have a look at them, the tree, the, the whole thing from ground to the top height of it is about five to six meters tall. 
a tree of this size, and also there's very few palm trees that can actually survive in the UK weather. And when they, uh, and by UK weather, the only way where these trees can survive in the UK is really sort of south, like London, uh, Cornwall, Devon. That's the sort of area you'll see these sort of palm trees. Mm-hmm. But in, in our sort of English culture, the, these sort of trees are not, you don't see them uh, planted because it's not really a British culture to have palm trees with mm-hmm. nice lighting and all this, right? But we know this, right? Like we go to a mosque in the Middle East and we, we mm-hmm. you know, in, in our sort of historical Muslim areas, lands, like, you know, they, they play a crucial, there's a, a lot of Islamic history with palm trees as well. But um, anyway, so two years ago, we, we started looking around. We looked in Spain, um, uh, um, Holland, because a lot of the trees, they go to Holland, and they, from there they come to UK, um, other Mediterranean areas. But then in Italy, we found a good supplier, um, which was willing, an exporter, which was willing to, you know, export. They had licenses and everything like this. Um, so we've been talking to them for two years, but the time has to be right as well, because you can't really bring them in really cold winter. They ha- you have to bring them in the sort of spring, summery time. So we were, alhamdulillah, the way things worked out, like this was sort of March time. March is a good time, March, April time, to plant trees in the ground. Um, so then, yeah, so we, we, we were in touch we, uh, with, with our exporter, um, we had to speak to a lot, a lot of the other sort of haulage companies and transport companies and so forth because it's a specialist job. Um, you know, it's not just like normal cargo. Um, you, you need a, um, a, an exporter or a transporter who knows how to handle large, large trees. So I don't know whether you saw each tree weighs about 2.5 tons. So that's the same weight as a Range Rover, like a big Range Rover weighs about two and a half tons. So, you know, to, and, and to maneuver it, you can't just it's not a forklift. A forklift is not strong enough. You need strong things like it's the, the um, I learned all this <laughs> during this this job. There's a machine called a Hayab, and then there's another machine called a Telehandler. Mm. But they have to be <coughs> they have to be adapted, and they have to have the capacity to lift loads of 2.5 tons. So there's a lot of logistics we looked into. But Alhamdulillah, um, sort of two weeks before the opening, um, we managed to get the trees in, um, and and then there was a whole sort of you know, we, we had to speak to our landscape um, artist. So I'll tell you one thing. Um, for our English landscaper, they were really against this idea. They said, no, we recommend you don't get palm trees. Oh, no, you, you need to get oak trees and you need to get mm. these uh, apple crab trees. And I was like, apple crab tree, man. What is the, <laughs> what the, what the hell is an oak tree? And then you can see these, you know, like walking down the road. I was like, you know, you're not getting the vision. I was like, have you ever planted palm trees? And she said, no. And I said, you don't know. Because uh, she didn't understand like the, what, 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 what we had in our mind. And I said, no, look, we are going for it. And we have to thoroughly research that. Will they survive? That's another thing, right? So these trees, alhamdulillah, they're called um, Canary Island date palm trees, right? They look very similar to normal date palm trees, uh, but these trees survive down to minus 8, minus 10 degrees. So that's why they are suitable um, in a climate like uh, like London, right, that they'll survive. Normal date palm trees won't survive. Mm. They before even gets to freezing, they will die. Mm-hmm. So that's why we can have normal date palm trees. But and and these trees, they will get fruit on them. Um, oh, so you okay. will see some dates on them uh, in the summer, inshallah. Um, but and they are edible, but they're not very nice. They, <laughs> they, 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 they look like dates, but they were, unfortunately they won't be very tasty. But but they are edible. Um, and and so Alhamdulillah. Um, so so know, where where where, those, where are those trees actually from originally? Where did you get them from? Originally, they're from Italy. So they've been oh. grown in Italy, okay. um, oh. in the ground. And then what they do is they, 
they, they put them uh, in pots and they have to leave them there for a year at least to see that they a year or two years to see that they survive in the pots once they've been taken derooted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with palm trees, the the roots are different to normal trees. Normal trees they have very deep roots that can go far in. Palm trees they're more like uh, they, they stay more nearer to the ground and they spread because they, they, historically they come from dry lands, right, where there's mm-hmm. less rainfall, so they need to maximize uh, the area where, you know, the, 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 where they can absorb water. So they tend to stay more near the, like, like a meter, meter and a half uh, to the surface of the ground, um, and they spread wide. So anyway, these, these sort of logistics we had to look into and, and see, okay, you know, whether they'll be suitable, inshallah. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, no, no, it was very exciting. I, I literally, I, I used to pray for, very passionately that Allah I really hope we can get these trees. I hope mm. there's no problem. So it's all Allah Taala's for the end of the day. Yeah, I know. It definitely yeah. seems like a whole other project, part of the reconstruction, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, and yeah. it's added its own yeah. beauty to it. And yeah. uh, it's great that it actually, you guys were able to pull it off. Yeah, I think, I think what this shows is that within the reconstruction obviously we see in the building but there's also separate smaller projects here mm. and there that people are working yeah. on and as you heard that yeah. Dr. Nan obviously did this out of his own um, with his own efforts and uh, his own kind of intuition and project management as well mm. and we've yeah. been talking about this a lot as well recently Adnan so yeah. I've been I'm telling Adnan he needs to start doing a project in my garden as well you know yes, I need to get those gardens. I need to get those palm trees because really they're, they're an amazing this, touch this, this might be the renaissance of uh, every every MD's garden now <laughs> yeah this garden we're definitely turning this into another country mashallah <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if you know you know so the first mosque in islam was of uh, masjid nabi right so as the muslim mosque yeah. um and in in, in masjid nabi they were the the trunks of palm trees of date palm trees right they were used as pillars to hold up the mosque and there were eight trees so eight trunks were used to as pillars and the roof was made of palm tree leaves yeah. And one of the, you know, like there, there's a mention of one of the, these palm trees, as Masimo talks about it, right? So one of these trunks, um, initially, Hazrat Muhammad used to lean on it, right, when he used to give his sermon. And um, uh, then later, like the pulpit was made, and then Hazrat you know, he, he left, the, he didn't used to lean on the tree. But it is said there's a hadith that the tree expressed its sorrow, right? That no longer does the Prophet of, of Islam, you know, the, the the greatest Prophet in the world, no longer does he, you know, use lean on on me, and now he goes he's gone to the pulpit, and as Muhammad sallallahu alaihi he he felt that sorrow, and as Masimud in his book, uh, I've, I've just got it in front of me now, because I remember I, I don't I didn't want to misquote him, hmm. as Masimud talks about it. If if you give me a minute, shall I quickly read what what Masimud says? Or, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So the Masimot here is talking about the ability of prophets and people who reach the further stage of being closer to Allah Ta'ala. And in this stage, the Masimot says that similarly, his ears, so the people who reach this sort, this level, his ears are given the ability to hear concealed things. Often he hears the voice of angels and derives solace from their voice in times of anguish. The greatest wonder is that even the voice of minerals plants and animals reaches him on certain occasions. And then as Masimo said, he quotes a, 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 a couplet of Rumi. And Rumi says, that this is a Farsi verse, that falsafi ko munkir hanana ast az hawase ambiya begana ast. 
which translates to that the philosopher who denies the event of Hanana. Hanana is the name of that tree trunk which uh, cried or which expressed his sorrow when Muhammad Salam stopped leaning on it. Mm. So the philosopher who denies the event of Hanana is totally unaware of the extraordinary senses of the prophets. Mm. So, you know, this, this, this just, I thought this is a nice little, yeah. you know, history with, with palm trees uh, in Islam as well. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really fascinating. And I'm, uh, yeah. thank you for sharing that as well. I think, yeah, we don't realize the interaction with the prophets, with nature specifically. Yeah. And that also shows the historical significance of yeah. the palm trees in Islam as well. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm definitely going to go down after this show and have a second look, and uh, probably have a feel as well of the palm trees. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, there's a nice symbolism there as well, you know, like with these with these palm trees as well. So, Alhamdulillah, like, um, we're all just really happy that we, in the end, you know, we were able to do this with all of the Latala's uh, blessings, honestly, and, and with the blessings of Jamaat. Nothing mm-hmm. here is, you know, like our personal efforts or our personal uh, achievements. This is all literally due to Latala's blessings. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the, I think that's the most important thing uh, yeah. to know. Uh, but no, thank you very much to uh, Dr. Adnan Muzaffar. Um, we wish you all the best and hopefully uh, ha- have you again on Voice of Islam. Thank you. Jazakallah. Sanikum. And that was uh, Dr. Adnan Muzaffar, a doctor by profession, of course, and is head of the press uh, for MKUK and was part of the Battlefield Reconstruction Project. Especially if you see the palm trees, that name will be synonymous. Uh, synonymous, synonymous with yeah. That's, that's, with, that's uh, become a part of... Um, his involvement in the exactly. history and the reconstruction, it's and I'm I'm sure. So now we have a palm tree specialist in the community yes. as well no. going onwards. He'll definitely get, probably get called up for a lot of projects. Will, he will be. I think uh, he will probably have to start creating his own company you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. become a supplier himself. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think uh, the palm tree itself adds a, a significance, and you know the the people you were talking about are coming. Say, uh, you know the oh no sorry, uh, the, uh, Dr. Nan was saying that uh, people were coming uh, from the outside saying. You know, it doesn't look like uh, Britain, or you know, it, it really doesn't look like Britain. If you, if 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 you have to agree with them, because uh, you don't see this anywhere. Uh, you do uh, think that it, it is uh, a Middle Eastern country, but um, in fact, uh, it's a it's something unique, right? Uh, that you yeah, have actually, some I've, part I, of the world here in the UK. And I saw uh, so obviously there's been a lot of. Um, press and journalists getting interacting mm. with the inauguration, so they were posting things online, and mm. people were replying in the comments saying that, "Oh, we live in Morden, or we live in this area, mm. and we walked past it frequently, and it's such a pleasant sight." And mm. they actually posted pictures of the mosque as well. This is such a bizarre thing for them to see in the middle of Morden. You know, next to Morden Station, you don't have anything. End, like that. end of the Northern Line. Yeah, there's so, nothing more after that. There's nothing <laughs> more after that. So this is kind of a, a bright light when you come up Morden Station and you yeah. see this big, massive um, complex in front of you. That's that's uh, absolutely amazing. Towering uh, five stories or so yes, high. Yes, yeah. that is a huge. I think you can see it. You can see it from Morden Station, anyways. To be honest, or just just about if you walk a bit further ahead. And um, to have seen it finally being built, and uh, even see, you know, the, I was watching the. I'm not sure if you've seen it, the doc, uh, documentary on um, mm-hmm, MTA. Yep. Specific uh, uh, stuff had to be used, um, bricks mm. uh, for the corridor itself. Yeah, they, and they got from those Portugal. from Portugal. Yeah. So it it just shows you how detailed uh, the uh, reconstruction 
board or whatever you want to call them volunteers were in uh, looking at each other but that of course comes down to his holiness's advice to them uh, because every little detail he you know you think that he d- doesn't have time for this because mm. it, you know he's got uh, he's got, of course got the president of the UK looking after with his team but at the end of the day you know uh, he'd go back to his holiness and he would mention few things every time you know you know if one of them was the domes at the front the yeah. arc itself yeah. and uh yeah i was going to i was well we, i was going to mention we talk yeah. about this as well kind of the um i watched a documentary too and i was really mm. fascinated by the insight or the foresight even yeah, exactly. that the khalifa not only actively gets involved with these projects but also the advice and the kind of the he looks into the future and sees exactly. okay that will benefit us and we should try that it's um it's crazy. i don't know it's, i don't know if you spoke about um the fire already but i think i clearly yeah, remember yeah i clearly course. remember where were you i was at school oh okay, you were at school <laughs> so the day before was eid yeah so we were, oh yes it was we were all i was here i bet for the day before and then so was that probably um, <laughs> yeah and that uh, that was in i think that was like a monday i think but uh, the fire happened and i was in school and uh, i saw my phone on i think it was a whatsapp message oh, you or ha- something you had a phone in your school <laughs> during like a break or something yeah. but yeah i don't yeah that's a good point <laughs> but yeah so and you know that moment you're like you obviously don't think much of it yeah you're like a small fire yeah but then someone starts sending news articles yes. and like short videos start coming out of people um sharing about the fire then you realize okay but you still did really still didn't anticipate how big it was because no. obviously from the outside you can't see the extent you the smoke coming out as well you're like okay this is just the front block that's nasir hall if you yeah. don't know about nasir hall yeah. that's fine there's a kitchen there as well but afterwards when we really saw the fire and the destruction i think so, that was really really like okay now what yeah no i remember i remember where i was because i was coming back from the gym uh, mm. i was living in southwest at the time i was coming back from the gym uh, at the time i was going in to putney because we didn't have a local gym in um, in southfields uh, so i was getting on the 93 on the 93 and because uh, it starts from putney bridge so i was at putney station at the time and there was a message coming across saying uh, for the the 93 has been diverted or is a short stop uh, it's not going all the way to uh, north cheam mm. uh, it said because there's a fire I was like, oh, okay god where's that can't be the only place uh, i hope it's not that place but it said because of the mosque i was like, oh god what the heck mm. uh, you know those were my initial reaction i was like well, I hope uh, you know the mosque itself isn't burned down. Yeah, your, your you heart know. just drops, right? It's like when you, you know when you... all those memories you've lived. You know, we've we've come we've come here for all our youth events, right? Yeah. As a national, yeah. uh, you know, we see um, international events happen here, uh, and uh, even local ones, or even your inter- local interaction with the friends you've had here, or volunteering with the uh, with, with your with your local community. It all just went all down here for you like oh no hope please god no it's not you know the actual mosque because that would be just uh would be heartbreaking yeah, I, um and i think um i don't want to get into obviously we're kind of celebrating today so don't really want to get, get into this but there was a lot of um when the fire happened there was a some celebration mm. that occurred by some people as well and i was a direct witness to this as well where literally the day or two after they happened i had people come up to me who who I wasn't they weren't exactly friendly to me but uh, in a way they were celebrating and they were taunting about the fire of course you know they um who are against this community and stuff mm. uh at that point obviously it was quite disheartening mm. but it wasn't something i could say anything about and i i just said um especially since the friday sermon mm. 
yeah. that happened after the fire. And His yeah. Holiness spoke about the fire. And he spoke about the people who are currently celebrating, who have been taunting us, saying that, oh, um, look, your fi- this fire has happened. is like a punishment from God. Mm. And uh, they were expressing sorrow as well because the mosque itself, the main building, didn't catch fire. It was yeah, not touched. The fire was far off from there. Um, but His Holiness then said that one day will come that we'll be the ones celebrating mm. when we build a better and bigger building. And we'll be saying, he was saying, Allah, yeah, we'll be saying, mashallah, subhanallah. So those are obviously expressing your grandeur, expressing mm. your thankfulness to God um, and His Majesty. And uh, I think, I don't know about you, Umar, but me personally, since, ever since that so several weeks, months now, every time I look at the mosque now, the new block, I just have to say, subhanallah and mashallah. Yeah because of how amazing it is. And you can see that the, the two words have been um, printed on top of the building as well, yeah. uh, the calligraphy at the yeah. top of the building. Mashallah, meaning uh, what God has willed, and subhanAllah, of course, being glory to be God. Exactly. So uh, what else can we say apart from that? So again, that was the foresight of the Khalifa, mm. where he knew that this would be the case and this would happen. And uh, I think that's really, really another example of Khilafat, or show giving us peace mm. after a time of fear. Yeah, exactly. Because... Yeah, we could all we could have all be just going around and saying, you know, who are we to blame? What's happened? How do we get this back up and running? How do we do anything really? But because we're following His Holiness Hazrat uh, Masur Ahmed, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and he is, um, you know, this is one of the uniqueness, right? We have a, 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 a caliphate. Uh, to look at, we have one leader who we trust and believe in, and you know, whenever he says something, we you know we just stand up. We say, yeah, we're 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 in whatever yeah. you want. So it's sort of um, a uniqueness, and you know, for him to be the calming presence, if anything, it probably would have hurt him even even greater, to be honest, right? Yeah. Um, um, and I think I, th- I think one of the things is that we've we've not had to worry so much about the battle for the reconstruction, or it's kind of just gone over the top of our minds. It's because of, the, of that time, the Islamabad. The Tilford reconstruction was yes. happening. The move was happening. Of course, a new headquarters was being made. So International that, headquarters. Yeah, that, that was taken. That took like easily like three, four years. Mm. So no one was really looking here. No. So that kind of gave us time to kind of remake. Two, I don't remember the first part of the reconstruction where they took the building down, where they put leveled everything and then started the new block. Yeah, that was a very long time. Ago. Yeah. So I think Even that was COVID came. Yeah, COVID came. So everyone was at home. Exactly. So I think I think in a way some of those things helped out as well. Yeah. So we were obviously it wasn't a time where we were anticipating or we were worried it was a time when new things or new progress was being made by the community so we weren't sitting around not doing anything um, this was just another part of it uh, and like you mentioned the documentary I think that was really really good in terms of I was fascinated they not only showed the current Khalifa's involvement yeah. but also the previous Khalifa as well the when fourth we, Khalif the fourth Khalif Hazim Zatahir Ahmed when we initially bought the complex and yeah. when it used to be a milk factory um, yeah, that's the most, more fascinating that this used to be a milk factory. This used to be a milk factory. You know? it's, it's hard for us to vision that if we had, didn't have those clips of mm. those pictures and videos from that time. No. And uh, like you mentioned, Hazul's involvement in regards to the, some design elements and Amir, National Amir Sub, the national president, was also mentioning that Hazul asked them to do a detailed um, safety mm. uh, check as well, where um, write, write up a technical report, which then was presented to His Holiness as well, because he wants to see that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also had the pleasure or even fortune that uh, I was able to interact with some people mm. who spoke to Hazul on that day the fire happened. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, Hazul was at the time obviously living in Fuzzle Mosque yeah, in, in Southfields. Southfields. Exactly. So 
when the fire happened, <clears throat> Hazur came out of his room, his house, his flat, <clears throat> and he came down to the MTS students in Fazl Mosque, where mm-hmm. they were sat, because he was worried about what's going to happen with the transmissions and stuff. Right. So he came, went in there and he asked the crew, he, um, is there going to be an issue if there's something, if the MTS studios there catch fire? And they will say, they were told Hazul that Hazul the fire, is, as far as we know, is, is spreading very fast. You know, they spoke about how hot the fire was mm. and how it melted the steel, melted the steel beams and everything. Mm. So it was actually, actually very bad. And it was heading very, very quickly to the MTA studios. Mm. And uh, they're like, we don't know what's going to happen. We can obviously carry on from here, but obviously we'll miss out on a lot of things. And a lot of things will be cut out and stuff. And they say that at that point, they saw this condition on Hazul's face where it was not only anguish and like um, he was he was um, um, a sorrow, but uh, it was he started praying mm. on the spot. And at yeah. that point, um, soon after they heard the news from here that uh, the advancing fire, which was going so quickly towards the MTS studios, mm-hmm. just stopped right in there. Mm. It did not t- even touch. Yeah. It did not even touch the MTS studio. So in there, we, they, they were able to see kind of first-hand experience, yeah, first-hand really. experience. And this is something that they were going around telling everyone afterwards because for them, this was a big sign. Yeah, that is true. And uh, with that, we have a, a second guest on uh, hold. Uh, we have Tala Niazi, who uh, by profession is a uh, mechanical engineer, but uh, he is also part of the national, um, what we would call a Vakaremul team, but uh, in translation to a labor team, really. Um, Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Saturday Morning Life. Yeah, uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Dala, if you could just, I guess, start off with uh, how you felt uh, last week when you saw the uh, grand opening of the uh, Bathfutu complex. Yeah, I think it was um, it was humbling, to be honest with you, and it was very emotional. Um, I think the the having been there on the day of the fire as well, and then having seen, you know, being a local to Bathfutu, seeing the progress every time I drive past, and it was a long time coming. Obviously, Alhamdulillah, we had other projects within um, the Jamaat. First, for example, the opening of uh, the Islamabad complex, the redevelopment there, and you know we were busy there as well. So it was always there was always something going on. But this was always in the back of our minds that when 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 is our mosque going to be back mm. ready again? Especially as a local local person. So mm. when it finally happened, and also to see Hassab back in uh, Battle for Two after a long time, yeah. uh, it was just it was just an amazing feeling uh, to yeah. see Hassab back in. Dire Hall, where we I grew up seeing him, um, and you know, or you know, even in the mosque again, where I grew up seeing uh, yeah. Hazul every Fridays and everything. So it, it was just, it really was a massive throwback and emotional all at the same time. It was, it was so many emotions, I, I can't even explain. <laughs> no, true. And uh, I, I believe you were also, um, you were somewhere around Bedfordu when the fire occurred. Um, be more interested to hear what you know you thought of it at the time as well. Yeah, I mean, at the time I was I was out in um, I was I was out in Wimbledon at the time, mm-hmm. and um, I got a text message not even from anyone from the Jamaat, but actually from my friends from school, obviously being local, mm-hmm. uh, saying that you know there's smoke coming from towards the mosque. And at that point, I got a call from um, who at the time was the regional Nazim Vakarim, mm-hmm. uh, so the regional coordinator for voluntary work and labour right. for Tahir region, Mubashir uh, Sahib, who today is the Mutmim. Of right. uh, the national and, yeah the, the the national well, the, yeah, the national director of yeah. uh, voluntary work and labour hmm. and he he called me and we I ended up making my way down to Battle for two and we we made our way inside we were allowed to come inside 
and we just saw the fire very very up close um you know we were just standing not too far away from it um from where the you know the fire brigade had kind of cut it off and we we saw the flames and it, it was it was extremely upsetting to be that's probably the only word there is that um you know that's where i i personally had spent my childhood in nasser hall and noor hall noor hall when i when i was a uh, local president local guide that was the first hall i ever did a my localish to mind so there's a lot of emotional connections in there you know family members had gotten married in those halls you know yeah. um and it, it was very emotional and seeing that, that fire and how how vicious that fire was how tall those flames were and and how it was ripping through the building it it, it was it was just very very upsetting but it, you know we stood there with hope that it will get better with the with the belief that you know god will provide and of course you know the khutbah afterwards uh, that's exactly what um Hazul really mentioned and, and stressed upon and that's really what, what I, that's the belief I took with me for the next seven and a half years that that whatever happens the building's going to be better beautiful and it will be you know unreal you know there was such a massive crowd outside the mosque I think a lot of people underestimate how big that crowd was mixture of uh, members of the Jamaat and non uh, as well as uh, external members people who are not uh, members of the jamaat you know everyone was there kind of just looking at it the whole road was shut down mm, yeah i think i think we were literally just reflecting on the same points that and you've said that you've articulated that very well um, in terms of our feelings and what the result outcome was as well and i've actually been i've been seeing you a lot you know whenever i've come to the belfast projects happening and the week running up to the inauguration as well so i just wanted to ask you what is your involvement um, within the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association and what is the work that that team normally does? Yeah, so I have the blessed honour of say, um, of serving as the Deputy Director for the Department of Voluntary Work and Labour. So internally we would call that Naib Mordnambakarem UK. And um, essentially what our role is, is to overlook the different projects uh, that are going on within the Jamaat. So they might, in, in all the different locations, it could be something as small as a wedding all the way to as big as the relaunch of Battle for Two, the complex. And our job there really is to manage the manpower, manage the work and manage the expectation of the stakeholders, which are usually, um, you know, the president of the uh, youth association, as well as the other members of uh, AMA and uh, ensuring that we've delivered to what their specifications are, whether it's preparing the stages, putting down the tables and chairs, preparing, um, you know, anything and everything. There's there's literally no task that falls outside of the realm of this department almost. And because the, defini- the, the, as the definition of the department really is that or labor is anything that you will do with your hands. That's the that's probably the simplest definition that we've ever been given, which basically means anything and everything. And for this uh, project in, in itself, um, I was initially working, I was initially charged to overlook a lot of the pre-work. So when, when the first when the first voluntary work session started back in December, um, I was overlooking those. And then um, last week when the inauguration phase came in, um, I was supporting the... Uh, other deputy director, Vijayat Sub, who was overlooking it, giving him, you know, the vital input, having had that experience of the building and everything how it was before and how we built it up to help support, um, you know, the, the build up, as well as, you know, pushing and managing some of the tasks 
and splitting them between us because there were so many tasks to get on with. There was three halls to prepare as well as all the other offices and, uh, you know, um, accommodation rooms that are in the upper levels that we all, we have to split the task. And that's generally how the department works, where one of us is assigned a project and we lead that project with the help of everyone else in the team anyway. Uh, and this is this is all on a volunteer basis? Yes, all all on a volunteer basis, uh, you know, after work, even sometimes during work on our weekends, whenever we have the time, whenever we always make the time where, where we can. And yeah, at times we, we are there all, all day, all day and all night. That's that's amazing. Think about it. These are these are literally jobs or a profession in itself. So the fact that you do that is amazing. And I wanted to know who who are those um, other volunteers who help you out? Where are they from? And what impact did you see um, in the help that they provided to the inauguration project? I mean, the 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 other volunteers are just average normal people from you know the local areas, from all around the London area. You know, students. Uh, you know, people working, even unemployed people, everyone was there, you know, um, and the impact, it, it, it cannot be downplayed what the impact was. Um, there was, uh, you know, quite quickly, there was a lot of work that needed to be done to be ready for the event. And um, almost at a moment's notice, um, people from all over London were turning up to help out, you know, um, some of them coming before work, some of them coming after work, some of them taking the days off from work. Or, you know, not going to uni that day just so that they could help out and, you know, be part of the project and be part of the community, you know, uh, doing this. Because a lot, again, just like myself, a lot of people have a very, very personal connection to this mosque where they grew up within it. They, the earliest memories are in, in, the, in that building that is no longer there. Mm. No, you're right. I was I was here a couple of days as well. So, I, well, like I said, I remember seeing you here, and uh, I went around getting the reflections of some of the youth who who helped out. And I remember one of the guys saying that he's like, I've been here since we the initial project happened back in late '90s, early 2000s. And he says, I remember when the bookstore used to be the mosque, and then it was the kitchen upstairs to like, expand yeah. it a bit. And then, and then he remembers when the Battle for Two Mosque was made as well. He was part of the Vakariyamal team there, um, and he helped us. So it's a lot of history, and uh, like you said, the childhood of a lot of us uh, youth of the community that have taken part here. And it's great to see that a lot of the youth also volunteer and contribute in that way. Um, and I personally saw this where people are coming every day after school and the amazing efforts that you and your team put in as well of being here every single day um, and on the inauguration as well. So thank you very much for your help and uh, thank you for coming on to Voice of Islam this morning as well. Hopefully we'll have you on again. Thank you, Talaniyazi. Jazakallah. And that was uh, Talaniyazi, um, part of the National Labour, volunteer labour team, I guess, uh, just talking us, talking us through about the reconstruction project itself. Um, quite, you know, that's quite an amazing thing about the community, really. You know, we talk about the money itself, you know, uh, that it was, of course, there's no hiding around that. It cost £20 million, but we didn't take any money from anyone. We was donated by people from the community, i.e., you know, people who are part of the community, the Ahmadi Muslim community, members of it. And, you know, then you think about, oh, okay, who's going to, you know, um, do all of the work or who's going to, you know, help out? Then, you know, have this department within our community, the National Voluntary Labour Team, who then source out people who are willing to help 
you know, give a few hours sometimes, few days, few weeks, or few few months or few years. <laughs> yeah, I think that so, that in itself is a whole show that we could do, many shows that we exactly, could do. Exactly. So the importance of sacrificing time and wealth. Mm, you know, and that really does uh, come down to how how the community is built and um, and you know its upbringing and uh, how it's continuing to go through that th- those same routes and. Um, it's important to hear those voices, um, you know, f- uh, those who are volunteering, because at the end of the day, uh, you can't do anything with uh, without volunteers, really, uh, because without them, I'm assuming if you put a mo- put a, put a money on them, at, at least all of them would be getting, let's just say, twelve pound an hour or fifteen pound an hour, because this is the type of jobs they're doing, right, or even. We're going very conservative. We're saying they're just getting the minimum wage. Mm. Uh, so that in itself, the community itself, uh, they're of course saving money, but the people themselves are also uh, going out and learning new skills as well, right? Who is part of the con- who is you who who in their right mind would go there saying, yeah, I want to be part of constru- construction. You know, not saying that construction isn't isn't good. But it's hard work. It is hard work, it's right? It's sweaty work. Uh, exactly. I remember, yeah. So, I mean, you you went there. You, uh, you'd know. Yeah, it's just carrying around big, large tables, yeah. the chairs. You know, it's it's strenuous exercise. You know, and obviously you're doing it on a volunteer basis. It's not you're not being pretty much a free gym session. You free, say. Yeah, it's a free gym session. So That's just, a lot of how a lot uh, of the boys if you're struggling with the gym membership. Come down here and uh, help us out. Literally, literally, it's very true. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, that was uh, that was good. Good to hear from uh, Talaniazi. Uh, in regards to that and of course there's many other projects which are happening of course around the UK mm. um, and if you want to join that you can uh, that that those can be your little gym sessions hopefully but, that's encouraged everyone now yeah but a slight yeah. bit because you know when you're part of a project you know you, you, and you get to see the end end yeah Pro- and and product, yeah, you know, you're pretty, yeah, no, pretty absolutely. pleased. And I new, think so. I think it's a, it's a very rewarding and so, self-satisfying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's take a short break. News uh, coming up, and uh, we'll join you after that. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Saturday Morning Life. Your John Masavan Bhatti and my co-presenter Rohan Lachima. We just uh, spoke about the Bathflu complex itself. Uh, we had two guest speakers uh, on call as well, um, just talking to us about um, the construction, uh, you know, their feelings, and you know the uniqueness of the palm tree as well. How they were able to source it, and some very interesting conversations we've had. Um, very enlightening. Uh, indeed, and you know, don't be surprised if you see more palm trees in around UK gardens. I think <laughs> that's the main thing we can take away from that. But remember, this is a live and interactive show, so you can call us on 0208-687-7878, or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We do, of course, love to hear your uh, opinions. Maybe you were there at the fire, or you were here um, at the mosque event last week for the inauguration and the peace symposium, or you maybe just uh, have been walking by the mosque. Uh, one of the residents uh, and um, you know you probably want to want to express your feelings uh, sentiments of uh, the mosque opening you know call us let us know tweet us if you're a bit shy uh, whatever you want to do uh, we welcome your opinion uh, and we welcome your thoughts uh, but continuing on with um, uh, the conversation the wider conversation Rohan um, you know the Bedfdu complex was, of course, one part of the show, if you want to say. Yep. Uh, but the second part of it was the 
uh, peace symposium, which after, wow, uh, since I think the last one was in 2019, actually. Yeah. 2020 was planned, but yep. then it got cancelled. Cancelled. Uh, so, um, yeah. So, so yeah, so this, this time uh, well, it was a, it was a Four years. Yeah, four, years, four yeah. years. It was a special piece symposium for us because it was happening again after many years. Mm. And also the fact that, as you mentioned, which you've discussed already in the show, was the com- it was accompanied by the inauguration for the, of the Battle of the Mosque. So it was actually the first time that a lot of, not only the guests, but also a lot of the community members were able to come and take part in the mosque. The highlight for us specifically being the attendance of um, His Holiness Hazim Mizam Masroor Ahmed. Mm. So what happened last weekend, and we were both here, but uh, His Holiness came, he planted a tree uh, in the new complex, he um, inaugurated the plaque as well. Mm. Um, And the new building obviously has the two multi-purpose halls, the office spaces, the guest accommodation, so he had a tour of this. He had a sitting in the library with some of the dignitaries and the guests that are here, he did a short interview with them. And uh, I believe in attendance, I think this is the most attendance we've seen for a peace symposium as well, where I think normally it's around 700 to 800 people. But this time we had uh, around 1,500 people who were there in attendance. And uh, I remember during the proceedings, uh, our the national head of external affairs mentioned that there are representatives from 40 countries yeah, 40 who have country. attended. That's yeah. amazing. I think mm-hmm. that's the first time I've heard that happen for the peace symposium. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the importance of it, especially at this time, uh, the, what we're currently going through, um, it was very, very necessary. I think we really, really missed it for the last four years. Uh, and so one of the, one of the things which are very important to the peace symposium is the um, Ahmadiyya Muslim Prize for the advancement of peace. Yeah. So these are the things that normally happen before Hazur makes his address. And uh, it's supposed to be given to someone who's made significant efforts and worked a lot in the establishment of peace in, related to various different fields or backgrounds. So there was two awards given out this year. So like you said, the 2020 Peace Symposium we missed out on. So the award for that year was given to Barbara Caroline Hoffman, yeah. who is the founder of a charity called ASEM, which works um, with children orphaned by war. And uh, and she did a very moving um, short address as well mm. at the peace symposium where she, she spoke about children who are um, who as a result of wars or conflict in their areas are then driven into slavery um, and sex trafficking yes. and those kind of things. So it's very very unfortunate. So um, the community and His Holiness is very obviously appreciative of her work, and she was given an award for this as well. Mm. And uh, the second person, which was the award for last year, was given to Dr. Taradoshi Akiba, who is the current or the former, former mayor, mayor. Yeah. for 10 years, over 10 years, I believe you yes. mentioned, of uh, Hiroshima. So obviously, if you all know of the name of Hiroshima for one specific um, event that occurred there. And uh, he is also known as being he campaigning for nuclear disarmament around the world, but also the fact that he cre- raises the voices of those who families and the future generations that were impacted um, as a consequence of the nuclear bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So again, he's he's very, very um, important in this day and age 100%. that his voice is um, amplified and it really, really fits into the message that His Holiness has been giving for the past 20 years as well. So it was only apt and fitting that uh, he was the one who received the award for this year. Mm. No, it... Um I think this year's peace symposium, if anything, was very important to have. Um, you know, uh, we'll of course talk more about the 
actual piece of uh, the speech itself by his holiness but uh i think it was great to see a peace symposium again i think it's one of those uh things where you you miss out because of course you have all the nice food because uh, uh, I'm here was for the food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think I think just seeing the diet hall and Arsenal being so packed. Packed, yes. It was after so and long. Also, you know, upstairs the uh, um, Nur hall yeah, apparently small, packed with yeah. uh, ladies upstairs. So, so that space is just as big as the Nasser hall in terms of seating space. Yeah, so, so it's, it's pretty mental how this whole operation was able to. We were all able to see it again. Uh, in fruition. Yeah, and it's uh, interesting that you mentioned the food. I had a guest uh, <laughs> ask me. He's like, "How do you manage this?" They're serving all these guests and making so much food, yeah. and I think that that again comes into what we discussed already yeah. with the sacrifice mm. um, of your time and of mm. your wealth of the community members, um, and this is actually an ongoing community kitchen, of course, which has been running since the time of uh, Langar Khana, which yeah. is which translates as community kitchen, yeah. has been running since the time of the Promised Messiah, of course, peace, um, peace be upon him, and uh, he said that this is something that will continue for future generations, and it's in every community it, around the world. Really, he said that it'll, it'll form in the countries around the world, in Germany, mm. in UK, in US, in Australia. And yeah, we, we get to kind of, let's say, feed of those blessings right the now. Nice style. The nice style, well, yeah. It's making me hungry already, actually, to be honest. <laughs> but moving on from the food itself, um, uh, the actual event peace symposium, of course, yep. uh, brings around uh, dignitaries, politicians, academics, local community leaders, uh, and people from uh, very high important positions come to um, uh, listen to his homeless um keynote speech and address uh, because at the end of the day um, the Peace Symposium the YPs of course uh, were gathering to uh, understand uh, what is peace really mm. and um, His Holiness of course who we believe is the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and um, uh, a caliph of course uh, from uh, his uh, promised messiah uh, uh, the Imam al-Mahdi um, of the time um and for him to stand up to all these people and tell everyone that this is the way to go forward, um, it really does, uh, it takes you a couple of minutes to actually understand this speech because um, you're trying to think of, oh, okay, fine, okay, what, what's he about to say next? But you know that whatever he's about to say next will link to the previous point he's made and what he's linked uh, uh, to the current situation. And of course, he's very direct because there's no hiding a- around it. Um, around the fact that we are, and he's mentioned this in his own speech, that we are close to uh, World War Three uh, or Third World War. And um, without people uh, starting to, um, or without people really listening uh, to or take heed from this message, um, it will unfortunately get closer and closer. And it is the 19th, I believe, the annual peace symposium. Uh, so it will be, t- well... Really, it's the 19th, but in actual fact, it's been happening for more than 19 years, you can say, because we've had a gap of four years. So it's it, it's been a very long process and a really good uh, thing that's been happening annually. I, th- I think I'm glad you mentioned that point as well, Omar, about, um, because I've been thinking about this as well. So um, about the way His Holiness connects his points in his addresses. Mm. And I made some notes as well from the address, which we, which we can talk about in a bit. Mm. Um, but the fact that he he's very, very in touch with the current issues that are happening and the way he responds and he gives the solutions to those points are not only apt to providing the solution to peace, mm. but also 
they have further meanings as well of establishing peace in society in general too regardless of whether there's conflict or there's a war going on mm. and uh, a lot of the teachings you realize about do not transgress treat your neighbors kindly and things like that they might seem relevant to our day-to-day lives but they can be applied just as much on an individual and personal level with the people around us but also on a um, national level where the way countries interact with each other mm. um and i think that's something that uh, we will hopefully people um did take away from uh, his address ourselves and uh, one of the focuses of this um peace symposium so a lot of the, obviously the theme was around the conflict that's currently happening in Ukraine and Russia hmm. so um holiness spoke about that and uh, he mentioned once again um as he has been for the last 20 years and this is why the peace symposium started as you mentioned Omar you said that it's been 19 years it's been going on mm. longer um technically but uh, it is for the purpose of warning the world and uh, dignitaries and leaders about what are the potential consequences of a world conflict and uh, his holiness feels that it is his mission from god to warn people about this mm. and make sure they before it's too late they avert and step back um from taking any drastic actions which will have devastating and long-lasting consequences for every single person in the world you know and there'll be no running away from this so his holiness speaking about um ukraine specifically he urged world leaders once again he said he mentioned that you should strive to find mutually acceptable terms of agreement uh, and he said you need m- to make efforts to find peace unless a cycle of incessant violence rotates with ever greater fury he says that if uh, so the point here is that if they continue as they're going which which they've not really backed off for over a year now or more than a year it's been going on technically for a longer time the active conflict has been just over a year the mm. war and uh, it will only spiral into worse conflict yeah. so we think that what will happen is that uh, let's say one of the, one of the two parties that are currently fighting one of them wins and that's it no that's definitely not what happens because if you think about it the amount of people or amount of nations that have become so involved in this yeah. now there's no way they'll sit back and let that happen yeah. so if either side you'd have so many people other people getting involved into this as well yeah because you can see um you know the west of course are you can say indirectly involved but directly funding um ukraine with um weapons with uh you know military equipment and intelligence really so in a sense you can see, say that we are already involved in the war because we're supporting a side which uh which is ukraine and russia of course at the moment are uh you can say they've supported belarus and uh, themselves and maybe some of the key allies as well but um that's more around uh, more or another time yeah so around the um political issues etc yeah. and mentioned it and i think um before, before we get into specifically the solutions his holiness provided um he mentioned something at the start of his address which is around which wasn't necessarily about around the main topic that he was trying to discuss but he spoke about the purpose of building a mosque yeah uh, of building mosques and uh, he wanted to he drew attention to the link of every mosque and how this must be linked to the holy kaaba in mecca and i think this was this was there was, a, was a, for me the interpretation of took of it was a profound meaning mm-hmm. so his holiness was addressing to one uh, showing people how mosques are supposed to be havens of peace yeah 
of of goodness that come about. And secondly, then he was trying to say that not only your mosques, but your homes and your nations should become like mosques, mm-hmm. havens of peace. And the fact that he said that these are connected all to the Holy Kaaba was him symbolizing the necessity of unity of everyone around the world. And he's trying to show that Islam and the Holy Kaaba, the Makkah, is a way of establishing this. Yeah. Um, it, one of the few things he actually mentioned throughout the speech, and he did mention this at the start, was of course, um, uh, and I'm quoting him, he says, all our, mosques spiritu- uh, uh, all our mosques spiritually mirror the Holy Kaaba, which you've already mentioned, uh, wherein they serve not only an abode of worshipping God Almighty, but also the means of fulfilling the rights of mankind and establishing peace in the world. Mm. Of course, again, he mentioned. And of course, uh, his Holiness mentioned that uh, the Prophet Messiah, um, peace, may Allah be pleased with him, um, came because he wanted to uh, reignite or re- remind everyone again that man has two things that he needs to be aware of, which is fulfilling the rights of God and fulfilling the rights of mankind. And you can't have one without the other, really. You can't be fulfilling the rights of God and not fulfilling the rights of you know your neighbor or, or someone else. Or you can't be fulfilling the rights of the, your neighbors or your friends but not fulfilling the rights of God. So those are the two things are really intertwined. And yep. what that shows me significantly is that the signif- uh, well, what that shows me in this right now in the world stage is that we're not fulfilling either one of those because at, because we are going f- so far away from God Almighty. We're turning so materialistic in our point of view and that we're forgetting what the main goal of us being in the world is, is that we fulfill the rights of God. Because everyone's, of course, becoming now that we don't believe in God or we're becoming an atheist, a- atheist or we, we just don't believe there's a higher power. And then that feeds into our into our characteristics, which you know we all know we have the egos, we have mm. the selfishness that we want more power, we want to create more wealth. Yep. And, and in, in the end... It is something that is the downfall of uh, of our own actions that then we're not able to fulfill the rights of mankind. Yeah, there was like as I mentioned, I made some notes and I was I was trying to think of the key takeaways for myself from uh, his address. So the top of that list was rights to mankind, and uh, Hazul specifically mentioned something which really struck me. He said that it is stated in the Holy Quran that if a person does not fulfill the rights of God's creation then their prayers and worship will be rejected. Hmm. It says that He says that indeed the Quran states that the worship of those who fail to pay heed to other people's rights will be the means of their downfall and humiliation rather than the means of their salvation. This is something really that struck a chord with me in hmm. a sense. So I went back and tried to read about this point specifically about uh, your prayers not being accepted if you're not fulfilling the rights or treating people around you nicely. You know, that's hmm. essentially what we mean by fulfilling the rights so, and I found a narration of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in regards to this, where a man says to the Holy Prophet, um, O Messenger of Allah, a woman prays in the night, fasts in the day, does many good deeds and gives charity, yet she harms her neighbours with her tongue, so she says bad things to them. The Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, There is no good in her, she is among the people of hellfire. So despite the fact that she was doing so many good deeds and she was fulfilling her rights to your creator in the sense that what we're supposed to do, mm. just because she was 
foul of mouth to her neighbors mm. you know that was a sense of her punishment and then he goes on to say um then the man said oh messenger of allah another woman prays the obligatory prayers so she prays that which we are supposed to and gives bits of food so gives food here and there to charity uh, and she doesn't harm anyone mm-hmm. what about her and the prophet said she is among the people of paradise so you know the first woman was doing much more in terms of goodness of deeds right but just because of the significance of the second woman of treating those around her kindly god made that the means of her salvation so that is the significance of this point uh, specifically about treating those around you well and if you until you don't do that you're not fulfilling your rights to your god either no. so obviously it's very very fitting that his holiness started with this you know and pointed everyone towards this direction first uh, first it is and um you know we will be able to go through uh, the speech itself more but i think uh, i think it'll be good at this time to take a short break uh, we'll come back and then listen to uh, one of the pre-recording pre-recorded interviews you did yesterday and then hopefully we'll be able to pick up on more points within the uh, peace symposium so so join us after a short break the originator the one from whom all creation originated and he it is who originates the creation then repeats it and it is most easy for him la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah the purpose of religion is that man should obtain deliverance from his passions and should develop personal love for god almighty through certain faith in his existence and his perfect attributes such love of god is the paradise which will appear in diverse shapes in the hereafter to be unaware of the true god to keep away from him and not to have any love for him is the hell which will appear in diverse shapes in the hereafter thus the true purpose is to have full faith in him you're listening to the voice of islam radio broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Saturday morning life here with myself Umar Bhatti and Rahanullah Chima just uh, continuing on with our conversation with the peace symposium uh, we do have uh, an interview which Rahan uh, did yesterday uh, with the uh, two guests uh, Rahan give us a quick introduction um, I mean we do actually have an introduction within the they, 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 they'll uh, introduce themselves introduce like. but no I met them last week uh, at the peace symposium myself oh, yeah. uh, Mr. Christopher Wilmer and Rafael Wilmer mm. and uh, it was very really pleasant um, for me to meet them it was really pl- pleasure and i thought it would be really really good to get there i was spoke to them beforehand as well mm. and uh, they were very expressive about the way they felt about the peace symposium and the mm. inauguration so i thought it would be good to get them on live mm. and uh, share their views and opinions yeah yeah no 100% let's, uh, let's listen to the interview we have uh, two guests on the line right now uh, mr christopher woma and rafaela woma who were in attendance actually last week at the inauguration and peace symposium Assalamu alaikum to both of you. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you. Welcome to Voice of Islam. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much indeed. I'm very pleased and honoured to be invited to speak. Thank you, Christopher. Um, let's start off with doing some introductions. So, Christopher, if you could just tell us a bit more about yourself. Yes, well, I'm a musician. I, I play the, the organ mostly and, and the piano. 
and I teach in various schools. Um, and also, I've lived in Sutton for 20 years, and I'm, uh, I've recently been elected a councillor uh, for the Liberal Democrats. And um, I'm vice chair of the Environment and Sustainable Transport, which is very nice because I've always been passionate about um, uh, protecting the environment, uh, and it gives me uh, gives me um, a position where I can influence um, all the things I'm, that I'm very much interested in, and also get very much involved with the community. Uh, so that, that's something I'm very interested to do. Perfect. That's a very vast resume you've got there. Um, and what about you, Rafaela? Um, so my name is Rafaela. Um, I'm a university student. So I'm in my third year of um, pharmacy um, at UCL. Um, and yeah, I've recently converted to Islam and recently accepted Amdiya. And um, yeah, I was really honoured to be able to attend the Peace Symposium. Great, perfect. That's very good. Yeah, so we, on this show, we are talking about um, the inauguration and the peace symposium that took place last week and getting people's reflections and having some reflections ourselves as well. Um, so it was a, obviously it was a very historical event for our community, which you got, guys got to be a part of. So I just wanted to get your reflections. We can start with you, Chris, Christopher, where you can tell us a bit more about what you thought about the mosque. Um, is it what you had imagined it to me to be? What were your reflections about the designs, etc.? Well, I, 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 for some reason, I was tremendously excited about coming, um, and I found it it was, it, it was a lovely coincidence that I happened to be there, um, invited at the same time my daughter was invited. Um, I'd heard about oh, Ahmedi uh, Muslim community. Um, and I just felt this tremendous, tremendous excitement to come. And when I when I arrived there and I saw saw the mosque and the buildings, I, I thought it was awe inspiring. Uh, and the first thing I noticed how kind and hospitable everybody was. And it, it was very interesting. I, I I was given a tour of uh, of the mosque and and the, the building complex by uh, a wonderful student um, imam. And um, I was I was able to to really ask some interesting questions. And he and he, he was very, so so helpful and knowledgeable. So I was, you know, that was a wonderful time and experience to, to, to see the whole place. Perfect. And what, Crystal, what did you think about the food? The food, it was fantastic. I have always loved um, <laughs> spicy food. And uh, in fact, most of the time I tend to eat the, that for the food, spiced chickpeas, you know, spiced lentils and, um, and, and, you know, whenever I have food, I will put, you know, things like cayenne pepper on it. So I, I found that that sort of food is just the sort of thing I like. Perfect. Yeah. And I, don't know, I remember we had a discussion on this earlier as well. Um, and that is the way, that is the best way probably to connect people. We know that. Um, and Rafaela, what about you? What did you think about the mosque and the new build? Um, so I'm fairly local to the area, so I've always known of the Bitfutu. Um And I remember when it when there was a fire, but it was really lovely to see um, how it's changed. Um, it's it's enormous, and obviously it's the biggest mosque in um, Western Europe. But to be able to go there was really lucky. And um, yeah, I think the lights are really nice as well, and it's beautiful. Perfect, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so the, obviously the highlight, so normally we don't have an inauguration, it would be yearly, we just have a peace symposium that happens, in which the highlight is um, this holiness of speech. So this year actually we had uh, more guests than we usually have, and we had representatives there from at least 40 countries as well, um, which is amazing. So I just wanted to get your reflections on his holiness's address as well. I know it was um, themed a lot around the current crisis, which is happening in Russia and Ukraine, his Holiness spoke about some of the solutions um, and some of the potential consequences and the 
um, aftermath that might happen with the war. So, Christopher, what mm. was your kind of main takeaways and what, what were your reflections of his address? Well, I thought it was very interesting. He, he laid out clearly the, the, the Quran, the, the, what the Quran teaches about how you could, where you, where you, are, where you can intervene. And, and he said that, yes, in the case of, in, in case of defense, you were able to defend yourself. But what the most interesting thing was is that he said that if Russia should stop, if they should stop their aggression and cruelty, then we shouldn't seek retribution or uh, excessive reparations um, because that would only breed further, um, you know, further problems in the future. And I'm very much reminded of what happened to Germany after the First World War, after the Versailles Treaty, that the, the unjust reparations simply led to the, the, the next conflict. So I, that was my takeaway, that where, you know, the, where you mustn't exact um, excessive um, retribution, um, you must always uh, aim for peace. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think the way you've linked it back to the example of the First World War and the Treaty of Versailles is, is, fits very well in that example. And uh, like you mentioned, the Quran itself mentions that um, if a person commits, uh, um, oppresses you and uh, is unjust to you, then once they've stopped, you're allowed to fight them back initially, but once they've stopped, you're not allowed to transgress. And that's the word the Quran uses. You're not allowed to do anything which is um, above and beyond and will cause discord and strife in society. And uh, a lot of the Holy Holiness speech was um, linked into, like you mentioned, the Quranic teachings, the elements of Islam that come into this. And uh, he spoke about how Islam isn't actually the problem, um, how Islam is against extremism, first of all, and then how Islam provides a solution to a lot of the problems we see in the world today. And uh, Rafaela, coming on to you, um, what were your reflections about um, his speech? Obviously, you've mentioned that you've been reading more about the Ahmadiyya Muslim community recently, uh, looking into the words of His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed. So what, what, what did you think? Um, so first of all, it was such an honour to be able to um, be in the presence of um, His Holiness Prabhu. Um, and to, you know, he's such a peaceful person and he's got such a um, gentle character about him. So. The way in which he conducted his talk was really moving. Um, and similarly to what my father mentioned, one thing that stood out to me in particular was um, should Russia decide to cease um, intervention, um, that we shouldn't post sanctions because, and it, it's very, it makes a lot of sense. It wouldn't, it doesn't encourage peace in the long term. Um, and another thing that I thought was really important um, was him spreading the, um, the importance in Islam of and protecting the ability of other religions to be able to practice themselves freely. Um, I really like that he mentioned that, particularly when there was a lot of non-Muslims um, who were guests there. I think it it really helps to combat the misunderstandings that some people might have about um, Islam. Um, yeah. Yeah, also a very good point you've highlighted there with the, um, the freedom of conscience and that Islam preaches and teaches others to follow, where it actually encourages a pluralist society where people of other faiths can freely live together. Um, and you'll see from his addresses and his speeches that the theme is always revolving around to be able to fulfill the rights to God, your creator. You also need to fulfill the rights to his creation, the people. And this is two concepts which are taught in the Quran. Um, and he says one thing which is very interesting. I think this is something that really stuck to me was that there's no need for your prayers, your prayers won't be accepted to God if you don't treat your neighbours and those around you well, which is also what Jesus taught in the Bible when he says that treat your neighbours as you would love to be treated yourself. Um, so we see this common theme across all languages, uh, all religions, sorry. Um, 
which obviously we can then relate to. And I think these points are something which should unite us. Um, and if you, the more we share these and have these interfaith dialogues, the more we can help and benefit society as well. And hopefully, um, I think, I don't know, Christopher, for you as well and for myself, I'll hopefully take, take those teachings back and try to implement them in my daily life as well. And also you're telling me about some of the community work you do too. So try to bring them about and try to, you know, um, for the betterment of the environment and for the people as well. Uh, absolutely, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Crystal, I wanted to ask you um, one more thing. Um, you, what do you personally think? Um, you obviously heard a lot about the teachings of Islam, and uh, you also agree that those Quranic teachings are, can be applied in the real-world solutions. So do you think if we do, if those countries and those nations do listen to his words of his holiness, can we truly come to a solution to these conflicts? Um, I believe there's always that potential, and, and as Hazor said, that even, you, you should always go for dialogue, even if the, 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 even if the chance is very low. But you should always always go for dialogue because um, the alternative is is, is just a total war, essentially, and with the danger of it escalating to nuclear war. So I yep. think um, yeah, you've you've got you've got to try for peace. Um, our defence has to be proportional. Um, but uh, as my daughter was pointing out, you've got to, you know, if if, if Russia backs down, uh, then you've got to give them a, a way out, as it were. You've got to uh, not humiliate them. So I think yes, exactly. I, I, I absolutely agree uh, with that, and I think that point you mentioned about dialogue is very important too, um, yeah. especially in this context. And it was fitting because this year, the one of the peace prizes, so annually we give peace prizes to some people who've done exceptional work in their fields was to the mayor of Hiroshima, who advocates for nuclear disarmament around the world. Mm. Um, mm. And it was very fitting, obviously, with the current situation we're in. His Holiness has been warning about the consequence of a world war, of a nuclear war, um, for over 20 years now. And uh, he, a lot of people, a lot of times he mentions that mm. the message he's trying to give is for solution, but not a lot of people are listening. Um, mm. And uh, we all know what the potential consequences might be if they don't listen. Yeah. Interesting, uh, I've actually been to Hiroshima, my wife is Japanese, I've been to Hiroshima, so it was very interesting mm -hmm. to hear the mayor of Hiroshima, um, and I've, I've been to the, the, the Peace Museum in Hiroshima, but the consequences of nuclear war are horrendous, and the, and the suffering of people, uh, so that, that's something that must be avoided at all costs. Exactly, so perfect, yeah. So we must all unite and be vocal and active. Um, so one of the one of the campaigns that we've been doing since last year is the Stop World War III campaign, which the, His Holiness Hazrat Mizamzur Ahmed told us to do, uh, where we actually go out into the streets and uh, we, in a way, raise voice our voices and uh, tell people to find a solution through dialogue, through diplomacy, and do not escalate the war, basically. So let's hope people do listen and we can come to a good solution. But it was a pleasure to have you both on today and uh, I hope we will get to talk again and uh, connect in the future. Thank you, Christopher and Rafaela. Thank you very much. It was an honour to be invited to, to speak. Thank you so much. for that work. I thought I was part of the interview as well, but yes, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was the interview between uh, Christopher and Rafael with uh, Rohan 
uh, yesterday. Um, some nice points, of course, uh, they made, and of course, thanks for doing the interview yesterday night. Yeah, yeah uh, I, I, th- I think for me as well, I think it was very insightful, and I think some of the points that they mentioned I hadn't thought about. So um, it's good to see that people were able to do reflect as well, and Christopher himself, who's um, who mentioned to me before that he didn't have much knowledge of um, Islam in the past, mm. um, but he picked up on so many points within that short address, within that address, and he highlighted how they would actually be of huge benefit. Mm. No, hundred uh, percent. I think it was good to s- get an insight from another point of view, other than you know community members. Yeah, it was a pleasure. What they, it was a pleasure what, to meet so many guests, the dignitaries that came and. Uh, make them a part of our celebration in a way as well. Of course, it yeah. is. It was a celebration. Um, and um, it is, it, yeah, and it was It was quite good to, good to hear that. Um, continuing on with what we've been talking about with the Peace Symposium itself, um, there's quite a few other points you want to talk about, actually. I think we've actually highlighted uh, some of them on the call. So we can actually link that back to actually what the Holiness said about the certain points as well. So one of the things we've already spoken about quite a bit is the rights to mankind. Um, and how important that is and if you don't fulfill those um, you won't attain the pleasure of God either which is very very important for us as a Muslim as a person of faith and uh, apart from this um, His Holiness also says that um, the Holy Quran has instructed that every possible opportunity to achieve peace must be pursued no matter how remote the chances of success are in chapter 49 verse 10 of the Holy Quran Allah Almighty states that when two nations are at war, third parties should seek to reconcile them and draw them to a peaceful settlement. Now, again, the relevancy is, is very, very important because, um, one, he's urging the necessity of dialogue, of peaceful solutions through that way. But also, if other nations want to get involved, mm. as they as they have to, necessarily, and as they are right now, as they are right now, they have to. I think so. It's not you know, Islam doesn't teach you to sit around and watch two people fight. No. Islam asks you to step in and try help out and find the peaceful solutions. No, recording the like, first step is recording like well star. Yeah, it's uh, that's a, that's a, actually to be fair, um, we don't know about that either. There's a lot of censorship and stuff going yeah. on. Um, but they're they're they're, they're Input shouldn't be to come in as an aggressor and be like, right, we'll fight for you and we'll help you find the solution. They should be trying to involve peaceful discussions and trying to find a solution for both of these nations to avoid war. Um, And uh, they should try to reconcile them. But however, we know that this is a hypothetical solution. This is not always the case. After you've made the efforts to bring about those peaceful discussions and the solution, if still the aggressor does not stop at that point, hmm. then those nations are supposed to unite and you have permission to fight. And you see this theme throughout the history of Islam as well. You know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, hmm. and his companions, the early companions, a small community. So we could take from their example. For many, many years, they were being persecuted by the people of Makkah for professing a different belief, for not following what their forefathers followed. And this happened for a continuous 12 years where they would be persecuted, they were mercilessly dragged onto the streets and killed, they were socially boycotted. But no point at this point did the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, or his companions fight them or enact mm. the same kind of retribution or punishment to the other non-believers as well. It wasn't until they had the permission given by God in the Quran 
that, okay, now they've transgressed to a point where not only you are at risk and damage, but all other faiths will be wiped out if they're not stopped. Mm. At that point, the Holy Prophet and his companions and Muslims were given the permission to fight back. Yeah. And this was the what jihad is. Right. To fight a, a battle of self-defense. Mm. And, and that's said, the last, um, I guess, the last sort of uh, step in, uh, yeah, so that that's the last step. Uh, so obviously, again, like we mentioned, this is aggressors who are totally trying to, in a way, wipe you out. And he, uh, remember, he didn't start fighting initially. Mm. They migrated. Yeah. So the first instruction you're giving is to migrate and move to another area of safety. And it wasn't until the people of Mecca actually traveled 400 kilometers out to Medina to fight the Muslims. They're like, okay, you've gone out from our area. But we still don't like you. Yeah. Right? We're still coming after you. Want to kill you? And even not even Medina, they moved across to Africa as well. There was a lot of refugees, Muslim yeah. refugees, who who took a refuge in a Christian country at that point. It was a it was run by a Christian um, yes. king. Um, so so we see there's a lot of lessons to learn from that those incidents that can be applied in general. So the refugees, in a sense. Yeah. Right. So so we, for some, it might seem that the Quran is trying to apply certain verses to situations which happened to the Muslims and the Holy Prophet specifically at that point in time. But in reality, they have a much bigger and wider um, point of view to look at where they can be applied to situations throughout the rest of history mm. until and the end you, of time. And if you look currently, right, because what you're talking about is for every opportunity to achieve peace must be you know, pursued mm. at every level. At this moment, if we look at you know the current example, we have to look at, of course, because I feel like this speech was directed, of course, towards yep. Ukraine and Russia. I haven't heard anything about peaceful talks at this moment, and the uh, maybe once I heard it, maybe once, maybe once, but even then, it, it, it's been what one year since the you know they, they said the anniversary, twenty of February, uh, since the invasion or the conflict, whatever you want to call it, and I haven't, I've only heard it once about uh, uh, let's have a peace talk but after that nothing else everyone's still going on about you know we need to support them we need to um, help them and they say but why not help them and you know get them together at a table let's mm. speak or let's get other uh, um, intermediaries to you know to start the conversation with them or let's see what is the solution what can we do yeah and again, yeah there's a, there's a verse in the Quran that talks about this as well where um, it, it talks about the believers specifically and how they should interact with each other, but it can mm. be applied generally to society as well within different nations, within different um, backgrounds. And it says that if two parties of the believers happen to fight, make peace between them. Mm. But then if one of them transgresses against the other, fight the one that transgresses. And until it reverts to to Allah's command so they're going back onto the word of God and they've become um, go, uh, not transgressing anymore but this next part as well which is probably what the holiness mentioned as well a lot of times in his speech was that and if it does revert so if let's say the people who are transgressing the nation that's transgressing stops and says that we won't do this anymore mm -hmm. make peace between them with justice and be equitable for Allah loves the equitable meaning that if, let's say, a country which has been aggressive, been the aggressor, which has been unjust in its treatment to another nation, then suddenly decides, okay, let's stop this war. We don't want to do anything and we don't want anything out of this either. You can keep your land, you can keep, um, we, we, we will try um, be peaceful with you going forward as well. Then the other nations do not have the right to go in and further, put in further sanctions, no. um, put in further restrictions to that country, or even aggress and say that, okay, now we're going to attack you because of what you did to us. 
you know mm. and because if we do start looking at things in that point of view and start enacting that we'd never be able to establish peace in the world mm. it'll be ongoing let's say a Mayhem. big war you know it'll yeah. be never ending with the amount of people like we mentioned already are involved with this now of course it's 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 impossible to stop at that point it's crazy it's crazy what's happening right now because um it um you know we've already mentioned that his holiness has been this is the 19th annual convent uh, not a peace symposium so this has been sort of telling leaders of the world that you know if we don't get if we don't get act straight then this is this is what's going to happen and i guess um we're now only finding out of the repercussions uh of uh, slowly what's happening because he does mention later on that you know world war 3 is, co- is, is it's it's coming closer if we if we don't act now yeah and um that is the um end result i guess but yeah. and what were uh, some of your other points i, I think i think the his holiness mentioned some good points as well mm. in terms of um as not good points in terms of some things that he commended and he mentioned an article a british by the british press he says he said that recently a column by the british journalist matthew paris was published in the times stating that such statements in advance of any meaningful peace talks are ill-judged and serve only to further inflame a volatile situation mm. he said i believe he is right to serve this warning what incentive will Russia and its leaders have to cease hostilities if they know that their withdrawal will lead to their certain ruin? So if Russia knows <laughs> that if they stop now, then people will transgress or aggress against them yeah. and they'll face further sanctions, why would they stop? So I guess you're not giving them any options to just you're continue, not, right? Exactly. In a way, uh, then that points to the fact that you're provoking them. Provoking, you can say so, yeah. Yeah, and then he, he, or you're telling them just you know continue until we see whichever one blinks first. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which, which, and you can see how how deeply his holiness has thought about this, mm. and how he's talking about the different potential consequences. He's like, right, one way you you're stopping the war this way, but if you do this, and then Russia would further be aggravated, they're not going to stop, etc., etc., etc. And he says that um, I believe it is essential to keep the channels of communication open. So I know, Omar, you mentioned that an attempt was made, but simply because it has not worked once no. or twice doesn't mean that, right, that's it. We need to continue. And uh, no matter what happens now, we have to put in these sanctions, we have to um, fight back, etc., etc. And he says that you should always strive to find mutually acceptable terms of agreement. If, however, the aggressor remains bent on causing misery and destruction and refuses to withdraw, Islam teaches that other nations should join together as one and use proportionate and necessary force to end the cruelties. That's it. And mm. the proportionate and necessary yeah, is the most important. Exactly. Is the most important statement here. So we've been saying this again and again because this really is, as I think we all on an individual basis mm. know that this is the way to find solution. But playing devil's advocate yeah. uh, just for a bit, yeah. proportionate and necessary force um, can be con- misconstrued it's, it's, as it's, different words to different people right is it subjective in a it sense is. but and russia could see that or we're just using this as an example mm. R- we know that russia has nuclear weapons we mm. know the west some of the western countries of course have nuclear weapons as well mm. so could that mean that they may use they may think that the only necessary and proportionate force to use is to use a nuclear weapon or is that too far too far-fetched from myself that's that's a good question that's a good question actually from you um because if you again, if I go back to the words of His Holiness, he this is something that he's actually um, consciously thinking about, and the reason why he's given that message just to those who are fighting against Russia is because he he he's trying to 
make them find a solution before we get to that event where Russia is provoked into using a certain type of weapon which causes mass destruction. And uh, when he mentions the stuff about proportionate and necessary force, mm. he says this so that it does not escalate to that point. So in a way, this is a warning to those who are provoking um, the nation, the bigger nation or the one that's, that started the conflict or who in some people's eyes is also the aggressor, the transgressor in this um, scenario as well. Mm. And he's like he said, the reason why that necessary portion of force is needed and why that will be the solution to avoid nuclear war is because he said that the truth is that war often begets war. If, let's say, Unfortunately, an incident as such occurs where a country, any country, I'm not specifically talking about this conflict, mm. any country is provoked into using a nuclear weapon. Mm. There is no way that everyone's going to sit around and just watch that. No. It'll be a chain reaction in yeah, a way 100%. where everyone will be trigger happy, red button press, that's it. And Finished. just thinking about that, the, it sends shivers through my body. Um, and I think we're not realizing that enough. Mm. Neither are we talking about it enough. Um, a lot of us are still, we, we've forgotten about the consequences that occurred after the World War Two. And mm. uh, one thing I actually just remembered as well, um, which was amazing, um, the fact that the former mayor of Hiroshima, he mentioned this. He says that when those wars happened, your Khalifa, I was, it was our second Khalifa of the community at the yeah, time. Yeah, he did. Hazim Mizza Bashir Din Mahmoud Ahmed. Mm. And he says that since that time, your community has been advocating against the consequences of a nuclear war. And as soon as those the bombs were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, second Khalifa released a statement, um, mm. which was released to the public, where he was saying that today there's been a grave injustice to humanity. And, and this is something which is of the worst of nature. And we must make sure that this never happens again hmm. because it's a grave injustice to use something like that because you're not only damaging you're not only killing the people of that generation but you're ruining their future generations future as well. generation yeah that is um i think that is that should really be the motivation uh if they don't have any other motivation then it should be the motivation of the fact that the world we're going to leave for our kids or for their kids as well and their their kids is going to be many fold and it's going to have a huge amount of consequence, consequences which uh, only we will be blamed for that we didn't try hard enough or we let um, we let our, our personal feelings get over us of course you know this is where Islam comes in that let's find that avenue of peace yeah let's continue to find it and you know and let's not stop yeah and we're obviously we put a lot of emphasis um on another aspect as well, we're trying to say, do not go over the top with the transgressor. Mm. Obviously, we accept that they are transgressing. Transgressing means that they are doing something which is wrong and unjust. Mm. So we've also put emphasis on the fact that the person that is being transgressed against has a right to self-defense and they should defend themselves. They shouldn't just sit around and let the person do what they want. Mm. And it's also responsibility of other people to help the person that's facing injustice. Um, so the, His Holiness said that as, hence, as they continue, meaning the other nations, to support Ukraine as it defends itself, world powers should also be making every possible effort to end the war through peace talks and good faith negotiations. Again, reiterating on the same thing again, he says, what kind of future will we leave behind to those who are yet to come? Instead of bestowing a legacy of peace and prosperity to our future generations, our parting gift to them will be nothing except death, destruction and misery. 
Certainly, it is my grave fear that today's geopolitical tensions could spiral out of all control and ultimately lead to nuclear war. Thus, with all my heart, I pray that may Allah the Almighty have mercy upon humanity and may the world, pe- people of the world, especially its leaders and policy makers, see sense before it is too late. I think those words are very, very chilling at the end. Yeah. Um, and it's a message um, of urgency, uh, a message that should not fall to empty ears, hmm. um, a message that needs to be acted upon. Um, and again, Every time His Holiness, like I mentioned, doesn't address, I think about the application of that, not only in a sense of um, a geopolitical message, which is applicable to only leaders and nations, people around the countries, but also messages that I can apply to myself on a personal level in my daily lives. Hmm. So reflecting over, am I fulfilling the rights to the people around me? Am I doing something which can be regarded as transgression? And I am not actively seeing this where I'm treating someone unfairly. Am I um, being loving to my neighbor um, and things like that? And when I do have an argument, let's say with even like a family member or friend, it happens all the time. Mm. What am I doing to find a solution to this? Am I further escalating this? Or am I truly following the teachings of Islam and de-escalating that? Staring the pot. Exactly. Or am I de-escalating that according to what Islam teaches to find a peaceful solution? You know, there's also a saying of Islam that you shouldn't go to sleep without being upset, with being upset or not having forgiven a person that has done something to you. Mm. And this is a way to ease um, the burden on your heart that before you go to sleep, you say that, okay, that person, I forgive him, that person, I forgive him. And this way, you'd also be able to build a good relationship with everyone and have comfort and peace of mind and heart. Um, and I think I think we, we all we all need that um, in our daily life generally as well. Um, Sometimes, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. That's, that's, a, that's very, very necessary. So I think we can... I think we've had a we've had a lot to talk. We've, we've, um, the two of us, the the dream team, the dream team. Um, I could keep going, <laughs> keep going on about this topic. I'm uh, sure you could. And uh, obviously, the excitement's still running today. Even it we've is. got Belfathus packed. Yeah, um, because there's some uh, local events happening, of course. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, as much as it, it looks finished. Um, of course, inside there still needs to be uh, stuff added on. Mm. Um, you know, I can't wait till you know. Yeah, the offices need to be set up. Set and up exactly in um, terms of that, but um, it's pretty much ready to go. Yeah, um, I'm assuming they probably just need to now say, say who gets which office and so gets mm. the nice views. I guess. Yeah, uh, can't uh, wait. But, um, uh, no, it, it, I think uh, just coming in. I actually wanted to come through to the front entrance. Did you, did you come through the front entrance? No, no, no the back, the car park. Yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have the guts at the moment to come through yeah. the front entrance. I was like, hmm, I don't know. Yeah, soon, uh, soon, soon, soon we'll be able to do that. Then you'll be able to go past the nice, uh, beautiful arc uh, front of the mosque. Um, yeah, and if you haven't visited, then make sure to come down. Exactly, um, just uh, have com- a visit. Um, uh, if you want, someone wants to arrange a tour as well, then you can DM us on Twitter at Voice of Islam UK, and we can arrange that. And if you would like to join in in our future discussions as well, then feel free and call on 0208 687 7878. Exactly. Um, it was just us two this uh, this weekend, me and uh, Rohan. Uh, but next week it will be us again, actually, but with our wider team. So um, 
we'll have we won't be talking about the mosque hopefully we'll get a bit about it from the other guys who weren't here uh but you know do join us again next weekend uh from 10 to 12 just like to thank everyone for listening uh of course rahan for coming in and our technician as well today um the producers and the people behind behind our our, our team as well May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Uh, we hope to hear, see you again uh, next weekend.